can count on the Christ Ministries. And I am, today I have a dear friend with me, Nathan Jones from Lamb and Lion Ministries in Dallas, Texas. Today, I want to discuss Nate, one of Nathan's books in this program. But before that, I want to welcome Nathan. Nathan, welcome to our program. Well, thank you, Marco. It's great to be on again and discussing the Bible with you. Yes, and um, the book that we want to discuss is one of your books, Nathan, that you and Steve Hobble has published a couple of years ago already. Um, this is before your latest book. It's called, the title of the book is 12 Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets. This book has been a tremendous blessing to me. I decided to read this book back to back with the actual accounts of the 12 minor prophets in the Bible. And really, I am beyond words. It's been a great blessing to me. So, Nathan, be, be, before we get into deep discussion, I personally want to thank you for writing this book. And, of course, together with you, Steve Howell as well. Thank you for all the prayers, all the hard work. And how long did it take for you guys to finish this project? Well, from concept to publishing, uh, a year and a half. So it's a lot of work. It's not that easy job, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I thought it would be because I had a partner to work on it. Uh, there's 12 minor prophets, so he took six, and I took the other six. And But uh, it's a lot of work. Not only once you write the chapters, you have to rewrite them and rewrite them. This was my, both of our first books, so, you know, you're used to writing term papers for college and articles for blogs and stuff, but it's a whole different beast writing a book. And uh, I had to learn how to write a book so that it would connect with an audience. And uh, the first draft I did, I actually, we didn't go in order. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. There's a, a mouthful there, but those are the 12 minor prophets. And we kind of skipped around, and I started with Amos, which is the third of the 12 minor prophets. And it really, the, the book ended, the chapter ended up being quite scholarly and it just didn't connect. And uh, we had a guest on our television show here. Uh, I'm with Lamb and Lion Ministries. We have the television show, Christ and Prophecy. And one of our guests was a prolific author. And he said, well, why don't you start each chapter with just a short story, a, a fictional, historical fictional story that connects the minor prophet to the audience? And that was brilliant. That's what we did for each one. And I get so much response back from people saying, thank you for taking these obscure characters from the Bible and breathing life in them so that we can connect to them. And so that, that was one of the things I had to learn in writing the book. And um, yes, uh, that is also one of the, definitely from my perspective, one of the uh, great characteristics of this book that I'm holding in my hand while we are having this conversation. Uh, every every chapter or every prophet's uh, faith journey, before we get into that, you people, you and Steve, have put together a very il illustrative story about that prophet and his context. And that's actually making it much easier for us as the readers to kind of get, a, get an insight into what kind of context they were living in and what kind of audience they were facing, what kind of... in in what kind of context they had to stand up and be a prophet of God to God's people. So yes, um, definitely I will say those stories make this book 
stand out among many other books. And in, on, on, on the same, at the same breath, I want to say, actually, until now, uh, Nathan, I have never read any other book dealing with the faith journeys of the 12 minor prophets. It's the first time I'm seeing and reading a book dealing with the faith journeys of the minor prophets. Many times we see, well, I've seen many times books focusing on the, on the prophetic message of one or two or minor prophets, but faith journeys. So th this is also making your book different than any other books that I've seen on the subject. Tell us, please, why would you write a book on the faith journeys of the minor prophets as opposed to focusing on their prophetic messages? Right. Well, uh, again, they're called the minor prophets, and they're minor because it's not like they're, they're short or their messages are unimportant or these guys are real little. It had to do with the length of their messages. You've got the major prophets, the big, weighty books in the Old Testament, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. You know, those have many chapters and deep theology, and you get to know the characters of the major prophets well. But the minor prophets are at the very end of the Old Testament, they're the last 12 books. Some of them, like Obadiah, just rank a page. Uh, Zechariah is longer, he's got 12 uh, uh, chapters of 14 actually and it, it just goes there's lot, much less to them than there is to knowing so th when you brought up the doing the short story uh, we had to create historical fiction stories just two or three pages per each chapter because we needed to connect the people in real life and uh, sometimes of course you know we had to embellish on on what we learned but it's all based on what the clues that the the Bible gives us about who these people are and then we get into the historical background of the books. Then we get into their, their prophetic messages that God gave them. And then they, we would go on into application, application for the church and application for Israel and application for you in particular. But you're right. These guys are, are prophets. They're minor prophets. Second uh, Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So these guys weren't coming up with messages on their own. God, through the Holy Spirit, was giving them his messages to give to a people. Now, at that particular time in Israel, we're talking about 800 to 400 B.C. This is when uh, Israel as a nation was split into two, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and they were declining spiritually and morally. And so God would send these prophets to call Israel back into a right relationship with him, to repent and return to him. And as each of these minor prophets were, were giving these messages, they were challenged in their faith. For instance, Hosea was asked to marry a prostitute and she continually cheated on him and his heart was shattered all the time. So how did he maintain faith in God when his heart was shattered? Or Joel, yeah. a locust plague wiped out all their crops. And so how do you continue to trust the Lord when you're in devastating loss? And over and over again, each of the minor prophets had a challenge to their faith that they had to learn to overcome their doubts, trust in God, and, and continue to give his messages. And brother, these guys weren't super saints. They're Joes, you and just like you and me. They were shepherds and farmers and fig prickers, whatever that is. And, and only one of them, uh, Zephaniah, was, was really a nobleman. Most of them were just your average guys. And they were challenged in their faith just like you and me. So Steve and I, as we read through the Minor Prophets, we realized how how much their messages 
their faith journeys are relevant to our faith journeys today, and that's why we took that approach to writing the book. And um, a couple of things you said, actually, very, very important. I want to go back to what you said and highlight those couple of points. One of the points you made is their society was declining morally, spiritually. And it is so much true today for us globally as well, not only in the USA or in, in South Africa where, where we live or where I live, um, but globally there is, uh, can I say that, do you, do you agree with it? Globally there is this rapid decline of morality and regard for God, regard for the word of God. Can we oh. say that? Absolutely. And Jesus prophesied that as we got closer to his return, when he's going to rapture the church off this earth, that two th conditions. One, that society would continue to get more and more debased. You can read that in Romans 1 as, as it gets deeper and deeper in sin. Uh, God gives people over to more and more to debasement. And he defines that in particularly when a society adopts and champions homosexuality. That's when you know a society has gotten as as immoral as possible, and we've reached that. The other thing that Jesus prophesied is in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, that the end-time uh, condition of the church, especially here in the West, is a, a the church of Laodicea, an apathetic, spiritually blind, thinks they're rich, but they're really poor church that doesn't have a major impact in the world. And we're seeing those two conditions, at least especially in the West, a very deep decline in, in, in the morality of the world, but also a decline in the spirituality of the church, which, of course, is what's uh, causing the culture to decline. If the church isn't shining the light of God in the world and being a good example, then, of course, society is going to decline back into its baser instincts as well. So I agree with you absolutely, Marco, that, that we are living in the time that Jesus said would characterize the society and the church just before he returned. Exactly. So, in a way, our current context is very much similar to the context of these minor prophets, where society was continuously declining, immorality was on the rise, regard and respect for God was falling backwards every day. In the midst of that, these people had to maintain faith with God, believing in every word of God. But not only maintain the faith, but also stand up and be the prophetic servants of the Lord, messengers of the Lord to God's people who are busy turning away from God. I see a very strong similarity between their context and their mission with our context and our mission. Absolutely. Well, for one, uh, uh, they were called to restore the faith of the people. Uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 defines what faith is. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. But later, the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 explains how people reacted to God's messengers. <laughs> it says, still others had trials of mockings and scourgings and, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were tempted and slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute. So, so, help, help me, help me out here. So they were not given private jets to fly around or mansions on the coastlines. They, it, am I wrong to say that? <laughs> yeah, right. They didn't have prosperity ministries. 
Matter of fact, uh, it says they wandered in the deserts and mountains and dens and caves in the earth. But the author of Hebrews says, but the world was not worthy of them. And so they overcame their challenges to their faith. They stood up for the Lord amongst all the beatings and scourgings and even murders that, that happened against them. They stood for their faith. And, and brother, that, that's no different than our time period. We live just like them in a declining society where the gospel is hated where the messengers who bring the gospel is hated, where we will face persecution because of our belief in Jesus and our message. The world is sided with Satan, and they hate what is right, and so they will hate our message. But not all of them, and that's why we're sent out. The Lord says the harvest yep. is plentiful, but the workers are few. So we need to get out there and share the gospel. Some will come and accept uh, the Lord Jesus, but most won't. And most will react to us quite negatively. Matter of fact, here in the United States, just in the last 20 years, I've gone from seeing our country going from a Christian culture nation to a post-Christian hostile to Christianity nation. And that's just in 20 years. And, and most people I've heard that are, live outside the United States that I interact with say, if America falls, then where will we, where Christians find safety? And brother, they won't. There'll be nowhere in the world for Christians to find safety because all the nations of the earth will devolve into what the Bible talks about, how in the last days, all the nations will stand against God and try to destroy Israel. And that's just what prophecy prophesied, predicted, and that's what's coming true. Yeah, and also, brother, not only physical safety, but um, some people might disagree with me. This is my personal observation. It's not a scientific or academic study that I've done. It's just an observation that I believe there is a mantle, there is an anointing upon the American church that God has given to them, which is to be the kind of a leading or um, I'm trying to put the right word for what I have in mind, but um, the, the, the word I can think of is more like an anchor. American church played, because of God's anointing upon them, American Christians, they played a very important role in anchoring Christianity, biblical Christianity, and also in helping the Christians in the rest of the world to turn towards the right direction in theology, in exercising Christianity, in social societies even. So when American Christianity goes haywire, when American Christianity goes off the track, they will still maintain their leader role, but they will mislead people into the directions that is not really leading to God. And that's the scary thing. And for example, um, recently I, have, I had to look into why homosexuality and abortion agenda is very strong in South Africa. Why a tiny nation like South Africa which is struggling to keep electricity in our grids and keep the taps running with waters and infrastructures falling apart. Our government is being plagued by corruption and all that. In spite of all of that, there is a very strong and very financially strong homosexual agenda in South Africa. When I look into it, where it comes from, I was shocked to see it comes from United States of America. It comes from some politicians in the in the parliament or in the um, what do you say? You, don't, you guys don't use the word parliament. You have another word for it. What is it? Yeah, uh, Congress. Um, Congress. Some, some of your Congress members are proud sponsors, proud supporters 
of homosexuality and abortion in South Africa. It comes from there. Oh, yeah. Of course, sin is here as well, but um, that, is, that is just to show you how strong American influence around the world. So um, let's get back to our topic. The topic was these prophets had to deal with all these challenges. These minor prophets, 12 of them, had to keep their faith in God in spite of all those challenges and also be the prophet of God to their people, which is very similar to what we have today. And when I look into the list of the names there, some of those, I mean, every one of them is uh, actually very exciting to go through. Many times I've gone through them, but at, uh, last time that I'm, I've done it is I did it together with your book. The stories you put at the beginning of each chapter made it much more vibrant, much more tangible for me when I read those chapters. But um, there is one guy which is one of my favorites in the Bible. Every time I read his book, I both think a lot, but also laugh a lot. It, he makes me laugh a lot. <laughs> it's Jonah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what? What is your take on Jonah personally? Yeah, if anybody knows a minor prophet, they know Jonah, because ever since you're a little kid, you hear about the, the Jonah, and we titled that chapter Faith When You Don't Feel Like It. And he didn't feel like taking God's message to Nineveh. Now, you got to remember at the time, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which was the arch enemy of Israel. That They would soon go ahead and, and conquer the northern tribes of Israel and, and dragged them off into exile. Uh, they were horribly cruel to the people they conquered. And uh, Jonah's like, I don't think they should get the gospel. In fact, at one point, Jonah's like, like uh, I didn't want to go because I knew that they would listen to the word, and if they repented, you would forgive them, and I don't want you to forgive them. And so Exactly. He's supposed to go east, but no, he goes west. He hops on a boat, and he's trying to get to, to what would today be Spain, Tarshish, and he's trying to get away from God, but you can't escape God. And so uh, he got thrown off the ship to stop a big storm. You know the story. He was in the belly of a large fish, likely a whale, for three days. He, he repents and says, okay, God, I'll do your will. And God, if you spare my life, God spares his life, spits him up. Jonah goes into Nineveh, evil Gentile capital. He starts proclaiming God's message. You will be destroyed if you don't repent. And to Jonah's shock and horror, the people repent all the way up to the king repents. And for a hundred years until you get to Nahum, the people of Nineveh had turned to God and Jonah was mad about it. He was upset. He didn't want those people to repent. And so we titled that title faith when you don't feel like it, brother, you and I are given messages by God from the Bible, by the Holy spirit to share. And sometimes we don't want to give those messages. And so that was a faith challenge that Jonah had to overcome. Yeah, man, Jonah is one of my favorite characters because of some of the conversations he had with God. I mean, this for for this guy, his his conversation with God is like a given. I mean, he just naturally talks to God. I have heard many Christians telling me, "How do you hear God? How do you talk to God? I cannot hear God." I tell them, "Go read the book of Jonah." I mean, this guy, he has got crystal clear, and then uh he argues with God. <laughs> When you're a prophet in the Old Testament, you would, uh, you know, like the church today as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We've got the Bible, the Word of God. That's how we hear from God. Some people report hearing a still small voice. Uh, frankly, I've never heard that voice. But what 
is known in the Old Testament is the Holy Spirit only came on them occasionally to give them messages, or they'd have a vision, especially Daniel's known for his visions and dreams, and God would also speak. Sometimes he'd send an angel. Uh, Daniel would have Gabriel come and, and give him a prophecy. So they got direct contact with God. But bear in mind, these 12 minor prophets cover 400 years. So it's not like God was coming to everybody and talking to everybody, only select prophets. Yeah, look, uh, I'm going to read uh, uh, one sentence from your book uh, on, on Jonah. You wrote there, you say, as one commentator stated, not the fear of failure, but the fear of success prompted Jonah to run away from his calling. <laughs> yeah. Right. He, he hated, hated the Ninevites and hated the Assyrians, and he didn't want them to, to, to repent and turn to God and be spared. And uh, that's a message he didn't want to give. And frankly, as Christians, we face that today. There, there are people we don't like, and we kind of sometimes in our darker moments wish they'd just all go to hell. And But God loves God loves the sinner. He loves we're talking about the homosexuals and the person who had the abortion. He doesn't want them to go to hell. He wants them to accept Jesus as Savior. And he sends us, the church, to go and tell them the good news. And a lot of times they're going to reject it and reject us and persecute us for it. But there are those who are called by God who will respond and be saved, give up those evil lifestyles and turn to Jesus Christ and be forgiven and become Christians. So, yeah, uh, Jonah's story is not too different than ours, other than we don't get swallowed by a big fish. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And again, I'm, I'm still stuck in Jonah uh, towards the end of the story of Jonah. Well, at the very end, you sit under that little bush that grow out of, out of nothing overnight. And next day when God drives the bush, what does Jonah say to God? <laughs> yeah, I'm so angry <laughs> to, to the point of death. <laughs> I wish I was dead. And, you know, God's like, what? Now, what's great about the story, and my co-author, Steve Howell, who's a pastor in Kansas, wrote the chapter on Jonah. And he made a great point that just shocked me when I read it. It was like, Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. Jonah, in his later years when he wrote it, knew he was in the wrong. He knew he was being a jerk. And yet he wrote about himself, not in a favorable light, but he wrote about himself as as someone who who was having trouble answering God's message. Matter of fact, the book of Jonah doesn't answer would end with Jonah being like, oh, oh, you're right. I, I, I'm totally wrong on this. It ends with Jonah being mad without saying, hey, I'm wrong about this. But the fact that Jonah later wrote about that shows that he came around to understanding what, what God was trying to say, that the sinner matters to God. And he's willing even to give his own son to die on the cross so that when we put our faith and trust in him, we will be saved. And so God wants the sinner to come to repentance. We are rather just the messengers. We, we go where he tells us. We give the message of the good news of Jesus. And it's not up to us to, to make someone repent or not. That's up to the Holy Spirit working in them. And uh, that's, a big, <laughs> that's a big relief for the messenger, right? It is. And really, I mean, I can never, I can never have a conversation about Jonah without chuckling about his character, his personality. I and mean, this guy is definitely, I fully agree with everything you said. And I think we need to remember that often. It's, it's getting harder and harder. Recently, my wife and my children, we, we tried to share the gospel of Jesus with a family member of ours. And at the end, it just turned into such a unbearable conversation as we have been insulted over and over <laughs> as oh. we have been 
verbally attacked over and over, and it was such a nasty situation. It came to a point I, I said to my wife, I don't want to share anything with these people, actually. <laughs> I felt like just... <laughs> but then you remember, well, once upon a time, I was just one of them, and God saved you by grace. And Absolutely. As long as there is breath in the lungs of these people, there is hope for them still. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, past death, obviously, there's no chance of repentance after you're dead. But during this life, this is our chance to, to get out of underneath the curse that's upon us for our sin, to repent of our sins and our rebellion against God, and to let the blood of Jesus purify us of all our sins. And, and we're the messengers, brother, just like the minor prophets of old, the church, the Christian today, we're all called by the Great Commission in Acts 1-8 to be messengers to our our home and our nation and even to the entire world. Now, speaking of nation, Nathan, I want to bring you to South African context as well. Now, there is one chapter in your book and there is one prophet you have dealt with. His context, his ministry is so relevant to South Africa today. That is the prophet Micah. It's amazing when I read prophet Micah in the pages of the Bible, when I, before I read what you have written about Micah, when I was busy reading Micah in the pages of the Bible, I, I was so struck with the fact that it's so, trans, so relevant to us, so close to the South African context. A corrupt government trying to take people's lands, people's homes, chasing people, women and children, from their own houses so that they can confiscate people's property. A corrupt clergy, a corrupt spiritually and morally corrupt spiritual leaders who are only trying to enrich themselves and they wouldn't care about the soul of people, about well-being of people. We see that so clearly every day in South Africa. Uh, currently, our government is run by a bunch of corrupt people who are determined that they're going to take the lands and houses of people and give it to their friends. They are making laws about it. Uh, our country, South Africa, is falling into pieces. Unemployment is rising. People who are capable, they are immigrating from this country, leaving country even more destitute. As we lose good people, capable people, we are ending up even worse than what we were. In that context, when I look at Micah, I see how God was actually aware of what was happening in Israel when Israel was a bit like South Africa today. What, what what comment would you make about Micah? What comment would you, yeah, how would you comment to that? <laughs> well, what you described in South Africa is exactly the same condition in Micah's time period. Uh, matter of fact, we titled it Faith When Government Has Failed. And that's exactly what Micah had to deal with. He was a very unusual prophet. Uh, he'd run around in a loincloth, and it said he'd scream like an ostrich, whatever that sounds like. And he was charged to challenge King Ahaz. Ahaz was the totally corrupt and evil father of good King Hezekiah. He'd murder his own children. He was stealing the land from his own people and, and to pay off his enemies. He was plundering the temple. The priesthood was all corrupt and in on it. He was trying farmers and landowners calling him guilty and stealing their land. Matter of fact, he was such a hated king that he wasn't even buried in the esteemed uh, lands where the kings were buried. And he was a corrupt, corrupt leader. 
and uh, Micah was sent to challenge him. And what Micah does is, is he basically holds a mock trial and tries the king for his evil deeds. And in the end, he's guilty. God says, you're guilty. You're going to lose your kingdom and your land. And praise the Lord, Hezekiah, who is the next king, trusted the Lord and all. He made some mistakes. But for the most part, the country was given a reprieve because a good king came after a king that trusted the Lord. But Ahaz, totally wicked and evil king, a totally wicked and evil society. And the way you just described South Africa is no different than the time that Micah lived. And when you live in a society that's collapsing and crumbling around you where injustice is the norm, how do you continue to have your faith in God? And Micah showed that you put your faith in God because as Habakkuk 2.4 says, the just shall live by faith. If your world is crumbling around you, just live by faith in God and you will have peace amidst the storms of life. Well, my brother, you actually nailed it. You said the, you said the most important word, just shall live by faith. And in fact, often we remind one another that phrase, that, that, that verse. And it is true. In, in, we live in South Africa and many of our viewers and listeners, many supporters and friends of our ministry still live in South Africa. It's not easy. It's difficult. And many times it's so difficult that there are actually no words to express how difficult it is. But, um, and I don't, I, I don't mean to downplay the difficulty of the situation, but I want to remind, just like you said, Nathan, I want to remind our, our brothers and sisters in South Africa, let us try to live by faith. Let us keep our eyes on Jesus. Micah, the book of Micah, if you haven't read it, go read that book. And if I, I, I highly suggest any of our viewers, whether in South Africa or anywhere else in the world, you have to try and get a copy of this book of Nathan, 12 Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets. I very highly recommend this book. Please get a copy of this book. Whether you get an electronic copy, Nathan, is there electronic copies of this book? Can they get an electronic copy? Yeah, I would recommend uh, going to Amazon. And if you have a Kindle e-reader, you can download it as an e-reader on Kindle. Same with Barnes & Noble if you have a Nook. If you want a print version, you can also order that from Amazon as well. Yeah, and I will give the title again. The title of the book is 12, Fa 12 Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets by the authors Nathan Jones and Steve Hobel. Um, and it is published by Lamb and Lion Ministries. Search for this book. Uh, I am sure if you just search for this title and the authors on Google, it will just lead you to various places where you can source it. But try to get this book. I am suggesting it not because Nathan is a friend of mine, but I read the book. It's a very valuable book for people of God in a world like this, where society is crumbling into pieces, in a country like South Africa, where it's, it's getting harder every day to keep up. So, and I'm highlighting what Nathan has also said, just shall live by faith. And um, Nathan, before we close the program, what word of advice, what word of comfort or hope would you give to Christians in South Africa? 
remember that as Christians, South Africa is not your home. America is not my home. This world is not our home. We are citizens, the Bible teaches, of Jesus Christ's kingdom. And so that is our hope, or the return of Jesus Christ to set up his millennial kingdom on this earth, a kingdom of peace and righteousness and justice where everything is, is uh, equitable, where there's justice, where there's fairness, there's mercy, uh, the curse is partially lifted, people live in harmony. That is the world. There will be no peace until the Prince of Peace returns. So when you see the world crumbling around you, know that's a good thing because we're actually getting closer to the return of Jesus Christ where we will be citizens of the kingdom that we were meant to be a part of, Christ's kingdom. Yes, amen to that, and that is what I'm trying to remind myself every time when I am pushed or struck again with the reality of negativity around us. This world is temporary. Our kingdom, our, our identity, our, our home is with Jesus. And with that word, I want to again give the title of the book, 12. Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets by authors Nathan Jones and Steve Howell, published by Lamb and Lion Ministries. Get that book, and I will suggest that you read this book back to back with the actual biblical account of the 12 minor prophets. First, go read in the Bible the minor prophet, one of the minor prophets. Start with the first one, we start with Hosea, read the book. And then go and read what is written in the book of Nathan and Steve. And do it prayerfully. It's been a great blessing to me. I trust the Lord that it will be a blessing for you as well. Nathan, my brother, thank you very much for writing this book. It's been a tremendous blessing to me personally. Also, please pass our thanks to our brother Steve for being the co-author with you. Absolutely. All the praise and glory go to the Lord. So thank you, Marco. I'm gl so glad it's blessed you, and I hope it'll bless all those who are reading. Obviously, as do as you did. Uh, read the, the actual books and the minor prophets, and then use our book as a supplemental to help you understand it. Yes, and uh, with that, I want to say goodbye to you, our viewers, and on podcast, our listeners. Please uh, visit our Facebook page. And if you haven't done so, like our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And I would highly appreciate if you also consider supporting our ministry with one soft or regular donations. For donations, please go to our website. I will give the website here, countdowntochrist.com slash donate. There you can choose from the options whichever one will work out best for you, and please support our ministry with your donation. And with that word, I say, may our Lord Jesus Christ bless you, and may you keep your eyes on him. Folks, we know from Bible prophecy that Jesus Christ is coming back soon. Let's keep our eyes on him. God bless you, and bye.